Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 399, and today we'll be talking about Adventures in the Elements from the Owl House. I'm GC13. I'm Soren. And I'm David. You know what I think it is? I think I'm just a sucker for any episode of a cartoon that has a lot of snow in it. You know what? I am inclined to agree. I think it's just when there's a special episode where they're in snow and they have their little winter outfits, I'm having a great time. Are there straight up less episodes in animation featuring snow simply because it takes more effort to put in snow? Or like... Is snow trivially easy to add, and it's only like a five-second loop and no one notices? Well, snow currently falling, and then snow in the environment. I'm trying to think, though, like, do we have any cartoons that just take place where it's always snowing? I know on Crick of the Creek, they had a good run of episodes that was the Creek winter season. But usually it's just a special thing. I mean, if it was going to snow all the time... I feel like that could just be distracting, so... But there is, like, winter environment. It doesn't have to be snowing constantly, I guess. And this episode, it only snowed for a short portion. So I don't know. Yeah, when the island needed to tell Luz how to make uh, make an ice cliff. Yeah, I feel like you just write from your experiences and maybe less people live near, like, snowy environments. Even if you're in a fantasy world. Yeah, because everybody moves to Burbank to... (laughs) work in animation and so now there's no snow at all unless they go to big exactly you have to be reminded that like oh right that's like a thing that can happen precipitation can stay on the ground yeah but it is very cozy also getting you know your characters all in their own cozy outfits is always pleasant right yeah i like how an amity has this like color-coded like amity theme like she very clearly picked this out at the boiling isles target versus loose just gets all the like weird gross (laughs) hand-me-downs Well, and Luce also kind of looks like a dog, which is a nice reversal <laughs> for this one. Okay, I I have no idea where you're getting that from, actually. Oh, it's like long floppy ears and brown. She's fluffy. Yeah, okay, and she just okay. looks kind of fluffy. Hmm. I don't know. I think it was intentional compared to the cat ears. But maybe it's just me. Also, her nose works hmm. either way for like dog or cat nose, depending on what hat you put on. So it's great. Meow, meow. But yeah, this was also a special location because they were on the knee of the, uh, you know, gigantic thing that's always in the background and, you know, is a constant reminder. And since I still refuse to watch the new episodes, I have no idea if they elaborated on it, but I, I, love, being, <laughs> I love being on the giant creature and not knowing. <laughs> watch the new episodes. I know. But so it's just great that, like, you know, Ida just mentions it's the knee and doesn't even really explain that further because it's also obvious but i don't know they um for all the like heavy-handed things that they sometimes describe in the show they do a very good job at just letting the giant skeleton constantly be um just there right just a part of their world i mean Luz gets to stare at it this time i think it's cool is all hell that they made the setting of this show the corpse of a giant Titanous creature that existed millennia ago. I think that's just sick. They could literally never elaborate on the lore of this or how it happened, and I'd just be like, "That's that's dope. <laughs> that rules." And because you, know. you, it just lets you think, right? I love possibilities, 
And it's kind of like how the statue of a fusion at the bottom of Homeworld that we saw once Uh, in Steven Universe will just live forever in my head. And it's like rent free. Well, and the same thing in Adventure Time. It's like, show me a thousand years in the future about like what the Candy Kingdom might have looked like once. And I never need explanation because it just lets me know that this world has been lived in for a very long time or will continue to be lived in, you know, for so many different eras. So it's great world building, but it also just is great fodder (laughs) for thinking. Uh, And I love it. But it apparently didn't inspire Amity the first time to actually like sit and listen, which I guess tracks or not Amity. Sorry, kill me. Loose. The other one. (laughs) The other one. No, it's like funny because I can't figure out like when she would respect Ida versus when she would just go and do her own thing. But they make it very clear that she's distracted right now because she does her whole, you know, hands talking to herself (laughs) thing, which is the best version of your, you know, she like never does that again. I think she was just having a moment. (laughs) She was having like this is not like a continuing loose character (laughs) development moment. No, <laughs> maybe this is like in Be Cool Scooby Doo, where Daphne just has a new gimmick every episode. In the first episode, her gimmick was puppets, and I think they should have stuck with the hand puppets, to be honest. <laughs> but you know, Luz has her own shoulder devils. Uh, she does the voices herself, and she uses her hands as the faces. And she does not need their validation. <laughs> I guess she's just under a lot of stress. It's very stressful to be told you might be in the literal baby class, because apparently the only options For babies. are be with your peers or be with actual infants, which is great. I also like how low the bar is. <laughs> no, what I don't understand, it says you need to know two spells and basic runes. So is, is that like their way of saying you need to know your alphabet, or is this something that's never been explained? I'm going to assume it's the alphabet. Well, now it's time to go on to the Owl House wiki and search the word runes and see if <laughs> anything happens. I mean, they're definitely not learning, you know, the symbols that Luz knows. So the I, glyphs? I, I feel like it's, nope. yeah. Glyphs are their own thing. Oh, okay. Runes are the phonetic symbols of the Boiling Isles used historically instead yeah. of the alphabet. They still write okay. in English... canonically english because loose teaches them not english so does that mean that this show is doing the thing where either all the runes match to a letter in the english alphabet or they all just oh okay so they kind of look so you know what is the name of the russian alphabet system cyrillic cyrillic you know how like some of them look kind of like our letters even if they're like said completely different and you can kind of like type cyrillic characters and it kind of looks like english characters and you can spell it out like that phonetically to like make it look foreign even if those characters aren't pronounced like that at all oh right that's what it is so it's literally so it's like the unknown in pokemon right like you have to kind of stare at it a little bit it's not like one-to-one english letters but it's yeah actually using unknown is a perfect example yeah but at no point does Luz ever say, I need to know this, or say, oh, thank you for teaching me this. It's just, it's on the brochure, but it's never mentioned. Yeah, they, it's Literally like, um... unwatchable. She read the magic book, maybe she just already knows how to... It's funny, it's like, in all these pictures of runes existing in the Boiling Isles, it's kind of like, in places where you have a lot of Spanish speakers, where all the signs just have the Spanish 
whatever of English underneath it. It's essentially like that. But nobody uses the runic alphabet. Like, we see every sign is using the English alphabet, and Amity just assumed that the Goodwitch Azura books were published on the Boiling Isles, even though the only thing they changed was the ears on the author. So, yeah, everyone uses English characters. I don't know why they... Why are we getting hung up on this minor detail that doesn't matter at all? Why am I like this? Yeah, GC started it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Also, like, the wiki says that that's what the word means, but it could also refer to just the regular characters of the English alphabet as well. So I'm, I'm going to just assume that it, it refers to English characters as the alphabet. and We're going <laughs> to go on from there. So, also world building. This episode kind of reminded me that like, it's, you know, we've seen the, what was it called? Pentagram And, you know, there, there's been an element of, like, it's the modern world, but magical fantasy. For some reason, seeing the wand actually having a battery indicator on it, kind of it kind of hit me that, like, this is not just a old-time fantasy world where things emulate modern technology, but there is just straight-up modern or even postmodern technological advancement in this world that has been fused with magic. Yeah, like they didn't have Pentagram hundreds of years ago in the time travel episode. Yeah, like, Sorry, spoilers. Get, get with it. No one watches Crystal Ball anymore. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I think I had more Harry Potter rules in my head. Like, oh, the newspaper has moving people in it. That's their twist. But like, no, it's legit technology, which <laughs> is kind of fascinating. Um, and I honestly like that more because it makes sense since the human world kind of pours into their world. And also, you know, presumably timeline wise, like these guys have had magic and they've been around a long time, too. And they got an alphabet. And why can't they also come up with technology at the same rate or faster than humans? So I kind of, you know, I kind of dig that. Especially with um, Ida for the past like 40 years, just chucking human stuff into the hands of normal people. Right, engineers are going to see the TVs and the cell phones and, you know, want to figure those things out, so. And they're not like... Yeah, they're going to see TikTok. <laughs> they're going to see what people are saying about that and be like, yep, we need that for our island. <laughs> love, the, love the continuous implication that there exists a Boiling Isles anime that is influencing Amity's art style. Because <laughs> um, that was brought up in this episode. Oh, her cross-hatching is getting better. Which is like... <laughs> I love Luce's, like, complete lack of self-shame. Right? She is not embarrassed in the same way that Amity is about, like, expressing... Or, like, liking things. You know? She likes the dumb, cringy stuff and acknowledges that it's dumb and cringy and just does not care. Meanwhile, uh, Amity, terrified that Luz just saw her <laughs> drawing that she made. Oh, but it's in the book. so nice because the mysterious soothsayer, like Amity, f is not putting up so much barriers that you know she's still willing to form a club, <laughs> which is cute, even it's though it secret. has to be secret. Until Emera and Edric promise to blab. Yes, I do love the um one hundred percent accurate sibling relationship especially older siblings where it's like you have to by contract be terrible but like if you cross the line then you're like in apology mode <laughs> i know i love that this episode just reset them 
yeah, they, they were completely different from how they were portrayed in their first episode. They were awfully malicious and manipulative back then, and they, they've ever since then been dialed so far back into fairly cool older sibling mode. Yeah, I think they were just like, yeah, I mean, it was made, you know, pretty clear that they were very, like, caught up in their own, like, plan that they weren't really considering how bad it got. And then, of course, it got that bad. And it's like, oh, now we feel bad. And then go into, you know, apology mode. I guess we'll, like, take you on a snow trip because, ugh, God, mom's going to kill us. <laughs> but also, like, a genuine place of... At no other point in the series did they ever feel like the kind of people who would want to, you know put mittens in her place and have her stop blabbing on us. They never go back to that place that they started out as. I feel like that place they were starting out as was like a recent development for them. Like they were trying out being meaner. Ah, yeah. But not like they were consistently meaner, if that makes sense. Mm. I mean, I don't know how you can have a mother like Odalia and end up with three cinnamon roll children. I mean, I guess... <laughs> Edric and Emma aren't quite cinnamon rolls, but, like, <laughs> they've, had, they've had some of the cinnamon sugar sprinkled on top, you know? I mean, Amity wasn't exactly the nicest Yeah, in her school, either. Yeah, you learn to put up a wall. Having a mother like Adalia, the way Amity was originally, that's just truth in television right there. Yeah. I, d I like how the three of them kind of stick together. It's very sweet. And then the jokes in this episode, I say this every time we record about the Owl House, but the jokes are just on, like, 10 out of 10. Like, the delivery, the the subject of it is just so good. And the setup, I'm always just, like, laughing out loud. Like, like, weird seal laughter from some of the jokes and how they hit. I wouldn't say I'm laughing out loud at uh, this, but... I'm impressed that we've gone this long without mentioning the B plot. King has one of the best B plots. Yes, it's in phenomenal. Any episode. Yeah, it's a He's pure quoting joke. JFK, <laughs> bizarrely, <laughs> which is so good. What was it? What was it? Where it's like this will live down in infamy. No, no, no. It wasn't JFK. It was FDR. Other... Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> I don't. I just watched a documentary about JFK, and it's on my mind. But it was the other president. <laughs> it was the other one. I just love the fact that he calls one of his guys private new guy. <laughs> That's like the most king thing ever. Your name is new guy, your rank is private. I love when the outhouse is oh so, like, anti-military. <laughs> just bizarrely. Yeah, for Disney. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I, I like the simple twist. I like that he, you know, should have trained the vegetable army. But his brilliant idea was to bring his toys to life, which was resolved not in any meaningful way from which children could learn, but just by having Hootie <laughs> yeah, you know, massacre them. Literally and sink your house Steven on them. <laughs> it, yeah, it's literally like watermelon Steven all over again. And it's like, well, they're not people or living things, so we can just <laughs> dismember them brutally, despite right, treating them like living sentient characters up until this point. <laughs> and it's so funny. It's so antithetical to, like, other points in the show. It's like, equality and freedom and, oh, but not for those sentient beings. They're not sentient enough. <laughs> I'll be haunted by my actions forever. Hoot hoot! Yeah. That was pretty good. <laughs> well, if Alex Hirsch finally destroys his voice box, they know where to find me. Yeah, I love how the B-plot is literally just Alex Hirsch. 
talking to that's oh yeah that's so true (laughs) right like did he record i'm wondering if he recorded all the lines for hootie and then all the lines for king separate or if he was having a conversation with himself in the recording booth which in this case i'm going to reiterate again that man's poor voice box they probably did that thing where they have two microphones set up and so he's moving between <laughs> yeah he's like darting between the two of them just in case they need a behind the scenes documentary they have the footage ready to go they don't have to doctor it up later i mean how do they like justin Roiland has the same problem i think a lot of lines are recorded separately it's pretty Rare even, actually, that a lot of these shows are recorded with people all in the same room, right? Like, I have this Which impression. Which is a shame. I know, it's weird, but, like, in Steven Universe, Greg was, like, never there. <laughs> like, a lot of the voice actors recorded co- at completely separate times, which, I mean, you know, due to the magic of editing. I know they had, I know that, like, the main, like, Steven and the main gems were almost always yeah. in the same booth. Because, like, a lot of the behind the scenes, like, they were there. But then Estelle would be remote and... It's, yeah, except for Estelle, but that that's understandable. That's Estelle. Like, come on. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting, and and it goes to show just like how hard it is to voice act versus other acting because it's just like you have to inject so much into just the voice because you can't let some of your body language or facial expressions do the acting for you. Like, it all has to be in voice, and then the storyboarders and animators from that point have to take over yeah have to have to take your voice and it's like two different actors for one character is kind Mm -hmm. of how animation works because the acting that goes into drawing a character moving and expressing in a believable way and then taking a voice of somebody else who's also acting and trying to put that together and it's like two different interpretations of a character being put in at the same time which i think is um really cool about animation and perfectly demonstrated by Hootie, who, you know, really shows that intersection of, like, where acting talent, you know, comes in both places, right? His yeah, we're both the voice actor <laughs> and the animator, which could very well be both Alex Hirsch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's be real here, are both just having a field day with his voice. I just loved how Hootie... He's like, I want to join, but I'm not going to actually join until you convince me to join. You know, now I'm playing hard to get. (laughs) Well, spinning his (laughs) entire head around in a circle. Yeah. And and then King gives him like the greatest chalk drawing known to mankind. (laughs) With the butt Which is pretty impressive considering how it's in the demon realm. And how he also managed to draw, like Hootie was holding him up so he could draw it, I presume. Because the door is much, much taller than he is. Either that, or he has some extendo-leg powers he never showed off. He's just piling garbage outside the front door. Go, go, gadget legs! Nobody? Okay. (laughs) Also, a little kind of thing that I found interesting is that I was watching this episode, and I was watching Luz, like, activate all these spells, and I was like, oh, I wonder if she needs to always use her hands to activate it, or if she can use her feet. And that part where she, like, jumps up off the rock to activate the ice spell for the first time she hits it with her feet and then her hands and then i'm like okay it has to be hands always but then from the slither beast she uses her foot to activate the spell and so luz can use either her hands or her feet presumably any part of her body to activate a glyph but witches doing their little circles have to use their hands i mean is there intent in there like could luz also touch the glyph but if intent wasn't there like would it not activate like i wonder if it's 
body plus intent. I mean, there were points, I think, where she set up traps where somebody activated a glyph unintentionally. I oh, have to go true. back and do some research. Um, I don't know if she was just there waiting and then she activated it right when they stepped on it. This requires research. Further research. Because this is, this is the w one part in the show where they're like very careful about keeping lore consistency. Like the spells and the glyphs. No, there was one time that was very inconsistent. She was able to detonate a bunch of fire glyphs on the door while she was way distant from them. Which episode was this? This was uh, the last episode of season one, where she's going up to save Ida, Lilith, and King. And she left Bellus with the door and said, you may have, or I may have lost, but so have you. Young blood, old souls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he sees all the fire glyphs. And she's able to detonate some of those remotely. I'm not going to start, like, <laughs> pausing all of our recording and then just going through that episode and trying to point it out. We will put a pin in this. Yeah, we'll get there. To our four we'll listeners, we will bring this up later. <laughs> <laughs> so, hang tight, which means, of course, you have to keep listening in the next six weeks. <laughs> Assuming we don't go back to Amphibia before the season break. Oh, but what else? What else in this episode? Um, I love the design of the Slither Beast. Everyone's like, oh, it's like from Star Wars. I don't watch Star Wars, so. Uh, he's not that Wampa-ish, I think. Yeah, but I also like the concept art they had for this guy. Like, originally, he was going to have, like, the inside of his mouth was a skull, and then his tongue came out of the skull's mouth, and it was, like, oh, really creepy. That it was is like cool. a worm. Um, I imagine that would have just been really hard to animate or to draw over and over again. And they had one where it was like his nostrils were up in his gums, but I think I really liked the final design where his eyes were in his gums, and they were like covered half the time. I think that was a cool design idea and pretty unique, because we've all had like the tongue that's a mimic for something else, and like so many things in the in the Boiling Isles have like skull motifs or designs here and there. I I just loved when they're trapped in there and Luz says. Don't worry, you guys, I'm going to save you, and then runs off. And she's like, well, at least I got to see her misplaced confidence <laughs> one last time. <laughs> right after saying, oh, I'm not worried, I'm just going to escape. And then it's like, no, I was I was actually not planning on escaping. <laughs> yeah, I think I think um, Ida had a plan, but it was going to be, like, real hit or miss. So she was just, like, saving it in case, you know, something popped up. Was there anything meaningful behind the fact that Ida doesn't like garlic? Other than the fact that she's a vampire? I, I mean, mean, she drinks blood, of course. Right, like, so I Apple guess blood. they're, you know, enforcing that Blood all that the same. What? Yeah. What? It, they keep on bringing up apple blood. Apple blood. It's not alcoholic, because she got into it when she was a kid, and it was, like, served at the cafeteria. It's not, it's not even, like, implied to be alcoholic. It's just, like, a weird, like, how my aunt really likes Diet Coke. But it is fermented. Like, it's aged. You age apple blood. It must be <laughs> fermented. So it, it tastes bad, and it doesn't even get you drunk. It's just <laughs> gross. They might just have uh, liberal child liquor laws. I don't know, maybe, what what is that one drink that is, like, n you know, really hit or miss? Like, if you grew up where that thing was around, you really liked it, but everybody else thinks it's the most disgusting thing on the planet. I'm pretty sure it's American. Or maybe I'm thinking of Marmite. I don't think I grew up in that place. I know Texas Big Red is, like, similar to that. Do you know what I'm talking about? You guys are Texan. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Big, Big red. red drink? Nobody nobody drinks Big Red here. 
Really? Wow, calling out maybe, stereotypes. Maybe out west. Right or maybe in, <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe I need to go Houston, to Texan sensitivity training. Nobody, <laughs> yeah. in, nobody in Dallas cares about Big Red. It's this is Dr Pepper country, sir. GC, if you hit your legs against the exit, the edges of your desk right now, like do your spurs? Do you have a lot of spur marks on the edge, like from just rotating your chair? Is that true? Yeah. Where do you keep your horse? A horse is in the garage. Yeah, how do you keep your horse quiet for the whole... Oh, I thought they were in the back. Don't you have your horses in the back? Yeah, don't you have, like, five-acre properties that cost you $6? Uh, th- that was back in the 90s. Property <laughs> values have gone up since then. Yeah. I know my aunt, who is Texan, is, like, super into Diet Coke. Like, she'll fly over here, and she's like, wait, we need to stop by CVS and buying a two-liter <laughs> uh, container of Diet Coke, specifically. That's how you keep those kidneys uh, in tip-top shape. <laughs> yeah, with the yeah, artificial gotta sugar. Gotta work them out. Yeah. Luce can cast spells with the training wand, which is an interesting little lore bite. Obviously, it's because the training but, wand has its own source of magic. Yep, and it, like, you saw how much Amity was using that thing and barely draining the battery at all. And then all it takes is one spell from Luz, and it's like, nope, I should not be doing any more of this. Two spells. But it's interesting, like, why doesn't she keep some of those on her, just in case she needs to cast a spell that doesn't have, like, a good glyph combo? Well, it was able to safely do one, but it backfired on the second one it yeah, messed up. It's like commercial magic, you know? Yeah, it could be useful for Luz to have around, but, like, philosophically, it's wrong, you know? Also, the glyphs are just as powerful, so why bother? Yeah, with her... Well, with, um... Because there is this, like, lore thing that they do actually elaborate on later in the show, where it's, like, the bigger the circle, the more powerful the spell. Have they already talked about this yet in the past episodes? I mean, it, or... it, it happens I mean, in this episode. they showed it in episode four. Okay, yeah. So the bigger bigger the glyph, the more powerful the spell. And it doesn't have to be drawn perfectly, because you can see in the snow that are, like, really wobbly and kind of crude, and it's still, you know, doing what it needs to do. So it's not like a Full Metal Alchemist thing where they're all just, like, fantastic at drawing the most perfect circle okay, well, freehand. Except that Luz already did that in, like, episode four. I'm pretty sure, like, we yeah. even talked about that. How Like, it's so funny because she's, like, an artist, you know, and, and likes to draw and cares about getting better at drawing and, like, critiques Amity's drawings. Positively. But then, like, when it comes to drawing circles, has just the most careful control possible. Which I find very funny, because, like, even me, I've been drawing since I was in, like, middle school, and I still cannot draw a perfect circle freehand. Maybe you should try the Spongebob method. Yeah, we were all Yeah, then- <laughs> draw the face, and then erase the face yeah. until you get to the part where you, like, we're sketching out the face, right? So it's essentially, when you sketch a face, you should already have a perfect circle. Yeah. <laughs> very good. Yeah. Um... I love how Hootie's, like, face... What, what What is an owl's, like, face disc? A face disc. I love how Hootie's face disc is a perfect circle. Um, that really adds to his, like, uncanny valley. Well, I mean, if he wasn't a perfect circle, he wouldn't be bird tube, now would he? <laughs> he could be... It's still a tube if it's, like, a little wonky or elliptical. Are you implying that Hootie could be anything less than perfect? Why would you think that I'd ever imply that? Oh, wow. I didn't think so. <laughs> anyway, guys, that's it for us on Adventures in the Elements. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. I'm Soren. 
And I'm David. Leave us a comment. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com.